Father, indeed, your faithfulness is great. In many ways that we see and in a million ways that we don't even notice. And Father, as we are in the middle of Jeremiah in these chapters today, Father, would you pour down upon our hearts an awareness of your great faithfulness to your people in Judah and Jerusalem and Israel and how you, the glorious covenant-keeping God, have drawn us into your perfect new covenant as well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, good morning, and uh, I am glad to be in the middle of Jeremiah with you. If you look at the top of the the front of your handout, uh, the tiny text, you might need to get your glasses out for that. you see that, that uh, I have those indented in a specific way. And uh, it's because uh, what, what the technical term for this is, is a chiasmus. It just means an X. Or it's a, uh, it, we, in, in terms of a word, we would call it a palindrome. Uh, so, so Anna is a palindrome because you can spell her name forward and backwards and it's the same. So just like kayak and race car and a whole bunch of other fun words. Uh, but a chiasmus in scripture, in, in, in literature, is that you see sort of the same thing going in and coming out of the passage. And that everything around the passage is pointing to the very center. And that's where we're today. We are today in chapters 30 to 33. And, and the message is one of restoration and of salvation in the midst of Jeremiah's prophecies of destruction and desolation, uh, which did come true, uh, and as the city, uh, the temple, the palace uh, was destroyed entirely, not a stone left upon one another, uh, God is still faithful to have a future for his people. And this is glorious. This is glorious stuff. And so that's where we are today. And in fact, the very center of the very center is a part of of, uh, Jeremiah that maybe is the best known, where the only place in the Old Testament where the words new covenant (laughs) are are put together right side by side. And that will be the very center of of our discussion today as well. And so I've been looking forward to this. And uh, it doesn't mean that you get to go away after this for the last two weeks of Jeremiah. There's still great stuff ahead. But uh, this, uh, we don't, we don't want to miss. So we are going to take this in, in three parts. And you can almost see this, just bu- even if you didn't know English, you could see this in your Bible. Uh, chapters uh, 30 and 31, if you just flip across the pages in your Bible, if you haven't turned there already, it looks like poetry. That's because it is. And then at the end of chapter 31, you probably have a little heading that says the New Covenant. And that's a mixture of poetry and prose. And then if you look at chapters 32 and 33, well, well, that looks like a storybook. Uh, it, it's all in paragraph form. And that's exactly uh, how we're going to divide this up today. The, the first part is, is the glory of restoration in verse, that is, in poetry, these first two, most of these first two chapters. Then the glory of the new covenant, and then the glory 
of restoration in prose, the last two chapters. So, with that, Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 1 to 3. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I gave their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. So we don't have a a setting here, uh, but but the words that we will see through these first two chapters uh, indicate that by this time, it's very possible that these could have been written already after some exiles had been taken, perhaps even written after the fall of Jerusalem, because there are indications about something being rebuilt. Well, you, uh, that, that, that uh, I can't say, well, I re- will rebuild this uh, until it needs rebuilding. Uh, it, it's easier for, it, for them to understand that. <clears throat> God has given them, in, given uh, Jeremiah here instructions as well to write this in a book, uh, so even if this is written early, the, the importance of preserving this message for those exiles so that they would have this hope is key. And, and we are blessed by that, that the Lord has written so much in a book uh, for us as well. I want you to see in verse 3 the unconditional certainty of so much. The days are coming, declares the Lord. I will restore the fortunes of my people. I will bring them back uh, to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. There is no question whatsoever here. Uh, These these are rock-solid promises uh, for both Israel and Judah. So now as we look at the remainder of this chapter and the next, um, we have cats. We have two cats in our house. They are both very large and very lazy and very fuzzy. And uh, we can brush that cat. We can brush one of those cats that's orange and fuzzy all day long and make a pile of fur that's bigger than the cat itself, and there's still more to be brushed out of that cat. And so what we're going to do here... That's a strange analogy. But we're going to comb through these two chapters, Jeremiah 30 and 31, many times. And we're going to keep getting more out and more out with just a little bit of a different look at this, these passages. So the first three that I... And, and this just goes right along with your handout. The first three are, are some threads that are in these two chapters, themes of restoration, relationship, and return. And so I'm, I'm not, we're not going to read the entire chapter. Well, by the time we're done, we'll have read most of it. Uh, but, but I want you to see these. Uh, chapter 30, verse 17, under the theme of restoration. God is speaking to his people. For I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord. Verse 18, thus says the Lord, behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwellings. What God is speaking about is, is the, re, the return of something that was theirs and now is not. Chapter 31, verse 4. 
Uh, Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O Israel. In chapter 31, verse 23, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, once more they will use these words in the land of Judah and its cities when I restore their fortunes. The Lord bless you, O habitation of righteousness, O holy hill. So restoration is a common theme that we will see, uh, you'll see through these chapters. Relationship is the next. And so listen for the possessive pronouns uh, in, in uh, these passages that we're going to look at. Chapter 30, again, we're going back and we're combing again. Chapter 30, verse 9. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. That, that should, just the mention of David, should cause you to raise an eyebrow. Uh, David's been dead uh, for 400 years at this time. We'll come back to that. Um, um, verse 10. <clears throat> then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord. Uh, chapter 30, verse 22 And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Uh, Just a a sweet and compact description of God's relationship with his people. Ownership. Covenant relationship. Chapter 31, verse 1. Restated. At that time declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Uh, earlier this morning, um, we were praying and we read uh, Psalm 100, uh, and you'll see the same thing, I think, in Psalm uh, 95, 105, just continued uh, description of God being our God, we being his people, uh, the sheep of his pasture, the people of his hand. These are sweet things. <clears throat> Chapter 31, verse 9. With weeping they shall come, with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. And chapter 31, verse 20. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? No, the answer is yes. <clears throat> and then the third uh, theme is return, so we're, we're going to take another pass through this. Uh, the, this is speaking of just a physical return to the promised land from where the, the people of Israel had been. Chapter 30, verse 10. Uh, then fear not, O Jacob, and then further down in that verse, Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. Uh, Chapter 31, verse 8. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest part of the earth. You'll remember that earlier in Jeremiah, God gave uh, Judah a different promise of others who were coming from the north country. It was Nebuchadnezzar, his servant, to to come and to pour out God's, be his instrument of God's wrath. And here... Uh, from verse 7 of 31, we see that the them uh, 
is now the remnant of Israel. It's, it's God's people, and God will bring them, bring them back. Uh, chapter 31, uh, verses 16 and 17. The uh, middle of, of verse 17, they shall come back uh, from the land of the enemy. Uh, verse 17, there is a hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. So these three threads uh, run through this, uh, these, these chapters, and we'll, if we were to look at it closely, we would see the same threads in chapters 32 and 33 as well. So the next, next thing that we do as we comb through uh, these, these chapters again is there are a couple glorious summary statements. Chapter 30, verse 3, and chapter 31, verse 18, which, which sum up these three themes all in one place. So look at, look at those with me. Uh, chapter 30, verse 3. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord, I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. Do you see all of those in one breath? That, that the Lord will restore uh, to his people the fortunes, and, and they are called my people. God speaks of them as my people, and I will bring them back. Again, in chapter 31, verse 18, I have heard Ephraim grieving. You have disciplined me, and I was disciplined like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored, for you are the Lord my God. Um, In addition to being a glorious compilation of these three themes, bring me back, get my eyes back on there, that I may be restored. For you are the Lord my God. What a sweet and glorious and humble response to discipline uh, that only the Lord can grant. Um, if, you, if, you're, if you're looking for a godly biblical response when you're under the hand of the Lord's discipline, uh, it would be hard perhaps to do better than bring me back that I may be restored for you are the Lord my God. I like that. Okay. Next, next pass through here is to see that everything that we've been talking about really is bound up in Yahweh's steadfast covenant love. His love for his people. So again, chapter 30, verse, verse 10 and 11. Fear not. O Jacob, my servant, nor be dismayed. Uh, Verse 11, for I am with you to save you. Uh, I I will make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you, but of you I will not make a full end. This is God's covenant faithfulness. Verse 14 gives us a contrast. All of your lovers, you can put scare quotes around lovers, all of your lovers have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. And God is saying, those nations that you, uh, tr- that you trusted in, Egypt, Assyria, whomever it might be, 
um, or even the idols that you're worshiping, those lovers, uh, they've, they've forgotten you. Uh, but the implication here is that I have not, nor will I ever uh, forget you. Verse 18, again in chapter 30. Um, <clears throat> Behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwellings. So the Lord's compassion is on display. Chapter 31, verse 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. And finally, in verse 20 of 31, you're wearing these pages out right here and back and forth. Uh, Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? Uh, For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him, and I will surely have mercy on him. So even in the discipline that comes, that's even spoken of here, uh, in uh, that speaking against Ephraim, God says, I, yet I still remember him, and I, my heart yearns for him. Okay. One more, two more passes uh, through this, and then we will, we will move forward. I want you to see, we, we already read it, verse uh, 11 of Jeremiah 30, but this is also uh, an important part of, of understanding uh, God's covenant faithfulness. For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I will make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you, but of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. And so the, the, here we see a distinction between the people of God and what are referred to here as the other nations. Uh, that, that there are people who are God's people, and God is faithful to them. He will not make a complete end of his own people, uh, yet he has different plans for those who are not his. Um, so it's a key distinction, and, and as we, we won't go into the New Testament a ton but, but uh, that is clarified uh, in other places with the, the distinction between what looks like punishment and what looks like discipline and the purpose thereof. Okay. So in, in that passage, we have Yahweh is with his people. He will save his people. He has scattered his people, but will regather them. Yet we see this clear distinction uh, even as God disciplines his own people. Uh, a quick uh, point of, of the, an implication of this, we'll talk more about it uh, later, but for now, in, in the same way, these promises are ours in Christ. Uh, Christ bore God's wrath um, that we would see God's favor for those who are in Christ. Uh, the Father will never leave, never forsake his own who are in Christ. Uh, he would no more turn his back on you than he would turn his back on his very own son. Uh, and so in, in times of your life, you may sometimes feel like you're scattered to the nations, 
We've said in earlier weeks we are literally exiles. Peter tells us that clearly, but but at other times we can feel like we're scattered to the nations, uh, sort of uh, figuratively speaking. Uh, but God will, the Father will always keep His own, uh, and He will uh, always restore. He will never leave this relationship that He has promised to us, and He will uh, always bring us back. Um, okay. One more pass through these chapters, <clears throat> because there's an important part of this we haven't talked about, uh, this, this future still part of this. Um, and that's because what we're about to see described seems to be far more than simply what we read about in Ezra and Nehemiah. We we, in, in those books, it's glorious and wonderful that the people gather up, that, that Cyrus says, makes a decree you know, that, that, that uh, the, the temple should be rebuilt, the people should go back, and it's wonderful. Um, but hold, hold those narratives in tension as, as we look at these other passages right here in Jeremiah 30 and 31. Verses 8 and 9 of Jeremiah 30. It shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck. I will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I raise up for them. Again, this mention, we have, we've read it before, but this mention of David uh, in the future. Uh, verses 18 to 21 and Specifically, well, in, in verse 18, it, it speaks about the city shall be rebuilt on its mound. The palace shall stand where it used to be. And then down in um, verse 21, their prince shall be one of themselves. Their ruler shall come out from their midst. I will make him draw near and he shall approach me. For who would dare of himself to approach me, declares the Lord. And what we, what we are reading about appears to be not only a king, but also a priest, one who, one who, who draws near to the Lord. Right? So there's, there's this princely figure who's, who's king and priest and draws near uh, to the Lord, yet comes from the people. Uh, chapter 30, verse 24, at the end of, it's the very last sentence of uh, chapter 30, in the latter days, you will understand this. Then in chapter 31, at that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. So there is a, a, a universality that's described of, of all the clans of, of Israel, and they shall be my people. Uh, verse 6 of chapter 31, there will be the call Arise, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. So there is a, there is a returning, it, it feels like, of, of the, the coming to the, the city and the great temple and, and the place where God will be worshipped by all. And chapter 31, verse 23, we've read it before, but thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, once more, they shall use these words in the land of Judah and its cities when I restore their fortunes. The Lord bless you, O habitations of righteousness, O holy hill. Um, 
And, and again, the, the picture that's given here sounds more like the glory days of David and Solomon than the days of the returning exiles who, who were complaining that the new temple didn't look very impressive compared to what they had remembered. So I just want just think about those things as, as, we, uh, as we look at this passage. We'll, we'll learn more about that as we carry on. But uh, let's move on to the glory of the new covenant. So we're in the last 10 verses of Jeremiah 31, and this is what I had talked about. This is the very center of the center of the center of Jeremiah. It's everything about Jeremiah, how it's structured and written, was to draw our attention to these first four verses, 31 to 34. Behold, I'm starting in Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Um, this, brothers and sisters, is glorious. Um, uh, it, it was glorious in that day to Judah and to Israel, and because of Jesus and Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, it's glorious to all who are in Christ. Uh, we'll talk more about that. But the nature and character of this new covenant uh, we need to see and enjoy. It is superior uh, to the previous covenant because God's law, he says he's going to put it literally right inside his people's hearts. Uh, no more will it be merely uh, an external keeping of law um, by rote, um, check, checklist. You know, uh, it will be from the inside out that, that God will make changes to the very inside of his people at the very center of their soul. Uh, the change that we all need and the change that we can't make, uh, God does this for his people. Um, he had hinted at this in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. I don't think I have that listed in your notes, but um, years and years before uh, Moses had written, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. And so those commands that were given back in the Shema to do back in Deuteronomy 6, now Moses in Deuteronomy 30 explains how that promise will come about, that this can actually happen. And this is the Lord's doing in the hearts of his people. The state of belonging will, will be continued and intensified uh, a change in the relationship uh, between the follower of Yahweh and Yahweh himself will come about 
in that it says, um, No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. So there is something about uh, a disintermediation, at least at a human level, of the relationship that the priestly function, we would say, um, will, will serve no more except for the high priestly function of Jesus. Yeah. And because of that, we can, with full confidence, approach the throne of grace. Yeah. A covenant for all, from the least to the greatest, and full forgiveness of sins. Um, that that uh, I was talking with Bill earlier this morning, and he, he gave the picture of the forgiveness of sins of, of a, a, a board, like a, just a piece of cardboard that somebody writes sins on, and then you try to erase it. And, and you know what? Even if you could erase it, even if you had the right solvent, it still has happened, right? The, the sins are still there. Even if you could, could take the trace of it away, it still literally happened. And we just need a new piece of cardboard. There's nothing that can be done with this, this cardboard. It is stained. It is, it is filled with sin, and that's, that's our situation. And the Lord says he will remember this piece of cardboard no more. That's right. Yeah. Um, there is an already and not yet uh, aspect to this new covenant we don't have time to go into the depths of this, but uh, you know much of this already. Hebrews is filled with rem- reminders to the Hebrews that Jesus, uh, through his high priestly work and his sacrificial death, his obedient life, his sacrificial death, became that mediator. He inaugurated this new covenant in a way that, that hadn't been inaugurated in Jeremiah and completed it. And yet, uh, Romans 11 tells us um, in verses 25 to 27 that there is something interesting between the Israelites, the Jews, and the rest of the world. I'm reading from Romans 11, um, 25. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And so even in Romans 11, there's some future aspect of this covenant awaiting to happen. Uh, And... The salvation of the Gentiles is tied up uh, with Israel's disobedience. And, and Paul makes that clear. Uh, you know, shows up at a town, goes to the synagogue, gets stones thrown at him, goes somewhere else in the town and, and to the Gentiles. Um, that's his pattern. Finally, uh, within this passage, verses 35 to 37, the, the certainty and eternity of, of this covenant. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. 
If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Now, at the bottom of the page, side of the page you're on in your notes, you see and I've underlined part of the song that we sang earlier. And um, it's just, this is just a sweet reminder, is it not? That all of nature, right? We, we, have, we have God's word and we have his promise that he will never leave and never forsake. Israel and Judah have this as well. So we have his word and it's enough But he has also given us the manifold witness of day and night and seasons. He has has told us that I will be ready to revoke my covenant and reject my people once you all have explored the entirety of the heavens and you have plumbed the depths of the very earth and there is no more daytime or nighttime. Uh, So he gives these things as witness to us, as a reminder of his covenant faithfulness to his people that is forever. And this is glorious. Uh, And and I, uh, it just so turned out, Jason and I were talking yesterday, and and he probably, I'm stealing a little of your thunder, Jason, sorry, he's he's probably going to exposit this text maybe even yeah, certainly even better than I am, but, but uh, about God's covenant faithfulness. And we'll sing this song again at the end of the worship service. And, and when you get to verse 2, I want you to remember the end of Jeremiah, of, of what the Lord has said about his faithfulness uh, and the reminders that he's been so kind to give us. Okay. Verses 38 to 40. Uh, just to finish out uh, Jeremiah 31, uh, talks about the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Uh, the, the geographical references are lost to us, they're obscure, but what is clear is it seems pretty big. It seems bigger than the original footprint that we, and, uh, and restored beyond its, its original uh, uh, domain. So, from there, on to Jeremiah 32 and, and 33 which we will not dig into as deeply because it's, it's much rehearsal of the same thing, but now in a, in a prose form. We do get the setting here uh, that the, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah uh, in the 10th year of Zedekiah, which means that this is within, uh, there have already been two waves of exiles taken, and the city is besieged by the Babylonians, at, meaning they're trapped. They're trapped inside the city, Within a year or two, uh, the city walls will be breached and the city will be gone, the temple will be gone. And we find, verse 2, Jeremiah the prophet imprisoned. <laughs> Zedekiah is tired of listening to him. He's, he's heard enough. Um, and uh, so uh, Jeremiah was shut up in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah. Uh, for Zedekiah the king had imprisoned him, saying, why do you prophesy and say thus and such and on and on? Uh, and uh, so this is the setting. And what we have here 
in the, in the rest of this chapter is a fascinating picture because God knows that we're simple people and we need clear pictures and reminders. And so uh, God is going to broker a real estate deal uh, to remind Jeremiah that there will come a day of restoration. Verses 6 to 15 uh, give us the, the nuts and bolts of what's happening here. Um, that a cousin of Jeremiah's approached him and asked him to redeem a field, to purchase it. Uh, and uh, according to the Levitical practices from Leviticus 25, if you're after understanding the roots of that, that's where you can go and learn that. We learn all sorts of things about signing and sealing and putting them in a clay jar and sticking it in the cave somewhere so that it would, would be kept. Um, but the big point and purpose of this is given to us in verse 15. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. God is not done. God is not done with the people of Israel or with the land of Israel. And he has called Jeremiah, again, right? J Jerusalem is surrounded by the Babylonian army. They are besieged. They have nowhere to go. And, and God has called Jeremiah to buy a field in his hometown uh, for the purpose of reminding uh, the people, Jeremiah himself first, but all the people and us, that God is not done. Okay. And the, the uh, significance of this uh, plays itself out in a conversation in verses 16 to 44 between God and Jeremiah. Jeremiah is praying, and he's a little perplexed. Um, he, he describes in verses 16 down to 24 um, what God has done, uh, including bringing them out of Egypt, but then bringing the siege mounds against the city and the, the impending destruction. And then verse 25, Jeremiah says, Yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, Buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. God responds, starting in verse 26. And uh, let me read 26 and 27. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? And then he goes on to describe that though the sins of the people are great, God will bring them back. And look at verse 36 with me. Now therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city, of which you say, it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and my great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. 
I will rejoice in doing them good. God is not begrudging with his love and his compassion. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great disaster upon this people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I promised them. Fields shall be bought in this land of which you are saying, It is a desolation without man or beast. It is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. So the, this is the, this, Jeremiah, is why you are to buy a field. Uh, because it is a reminder of the day will come when you will be back in this land, you will be restored, and fields will be bought, and gardens will be planted, and vineyards will be planted, and homes will be rebuilt. Okay, chapter 33, and then we'll bring the, bring the plan in. Uh, verses uh, 2 and 3, I want you to see this. The setting's still the same from verse 1. Jeremiah is still in prison. Zedekiah is still mad. And uh, verses 2 and 3, Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call to me, and I will answer you, and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. You see that the Lord, again, is reminding Jeremiah, who the Lord is, um, that he is the maker, he is the former or, or fashioner of Jeremiah himself, he is the establisher and he is the source of all things, of the earth, of truth, of knowledge. Uh, in verses 4 and 5, um, God recaps the situation, and then in verses 6 through 9 gives great promises of restoration. I will Leave those for, for you to, to read in due time. But I want you to see down in the, what, what's happening in verses 10 and 11. And thus says the Lord, in this place of which you say, it's a waste without man or beast. In the cities of Judah, the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without man or inhabitant or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, give thanks to the Lord of hosts. For the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. But that should ring in your ear from Psalms 106 and 107 and 118 and 136 especially. Uh, why, is, why is 136 special as we think about this? This passage. Anybody remember? It's repeated every verse. Yeah, if you haven't enjoyed Psalm 136 with your children, you can get them to memorize half of that psalm in 10 seconds. Yeah. All right. Uh, God's forever promises then in verses 14 to 26 are given. Where in verses 14 to 16, you see three times the days are coming uh, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel, the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. Well, that's new. That's new information. 
Uh, it's, actually, it's actually not new in Jeremiah. We've, we've had it before in, in chapter 23, but Jeremiah is reminding them of a righteous branch that will spring up. <clears throat> he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land, and in those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. So can you see that what God has given to Jeremiah to give to his people, and then thereby in Christ, and, and the new covenant to all people who are in Christ, this, this points to something larger than merely the return of exiles in the, um, around 515 or so. Uh, BC. This is something larger where the righteous branch is ruling and, and Jerusalem and the, the land is glorious in a way that uh, we simply don't see in the, the end of the Old Testament. <clears throat> Verses 17 and 18, thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel and the priests shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings to burn grain offerings and to make sacrifices forever. So God is being specific with his faithfulness to his covenant. Finally, yep, let's read the rest of the chapter because what we'll see are similar promises here that we saw in chapter 31. So 33 verses 19 to the end of that chapter. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day... And my covenant with the night, so that day and night will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. And my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant, and the Levitical priests who minister to me. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, have you not observed that these people are saying the Lord has rejected the two clans that he chose? Thus they have despised my people so that they are no longer a nation in their sight. Thus says the Lord, if I have not established my covenant with day and night and the fixed order of heaven and earth, then I will reject the offspring of Jacob. And David, my servant, and will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will restore their fortunes, and I will have mercy on them. So we see here Yahweh has given to Judah and to Jerusalem these promises when they were on the brink of destruction. From the viewpoint of the other nations, it was hopeless. They had thought, God is done with these people. Back in the 700s, Assyria took Israel away, took over the land here. Babylon is just about to destroy what's left in the south. Uh, yet God uh, has made it clear that he has not forever rejected uh, Israel. Even to this day. Even to this day. And, and that part of his plan with Israel is tied up with us in bringing all peoples to the throne of God. Um, if you haven't looked at Ephesians 2, 
uh, verses 11 to 22 recently, I encourage you to do so and to worship and rejoice in the truth of the reconciliation that the Lord Jesus Christ has brought, being, becoming our peace, not only breaking down the wall of hostility, hostility between Jew and Gentile, but bringing the Gentiles into the new covenant, destroying the hostility between God and all men who are in Christ. So, all to say, in Christ, these promises are yours. It was spoken to a group of folks who were scared in Jerusalem, who didn't know what their end would be. But these promises are ours in Jesus Christ. And all of heaven and earth and day and night are our witness and our reminder every day. There is a sun out there. It is daytime, and God's promises are still true. Let's stand and sing the second and third verses of Great is Thy Faithfulness, and then I'll pray and we'll be dismissed. Verse 2. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest Sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Great is thy faithfulness, Great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hands hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth Thy own dear presence to cheer and to guide Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow Blessings all mine with ten thousand beside. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Father, thank you again for your faithfulness. You have shown it in your word. You are showing it this very day with sun and moon and stars and night, seas and heavens and earth. You have shown it in your Son, in your mercy, in your compassion, in your love, planting right within us a love for you that we could not make, a righteousness that we could not earn. You are great and glorious in our sight, Father. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.